really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. As always, I'm your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. My voice is a little off today, got a little bit of a cough, but I hope that's okay. I've decided, I've been told that it makes me sound much sexier. And by much sexier, I mean much less awful. And by I've been told, I mean I just decided that that would be the case. Anyway, if you would like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You can always drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So compared to last week, there was a far more reasonable amount of rugby to cover. So why don't we just dive right in? So as always, we start with current updates. And, you know, for our current updates this week, I would just like to reiterate how great it's been having the sensational Rachel Law on here to chat 2021 Rugby World Cup. Big thanks to friend of the pod, Craig Manson, who originally pointed me her way because, I mean, it's been a true joy. Having an amazing Rugby World Cup to watch is good enough, but having a charming and insightful expert join us four times in a row, I mean, it's been what my mom might call the bee's knees. So we've got one more bonus ep coming, obviously, to go over the, the games from this past weekend. You know, I'm equally torn between being incredibly excited to chat, but equally sad that the tournament and our little mini series is coming to an end. Uh, if you haven't been listening to those episodes, do yourself a favor and check them out. She's been amazing, and I learned so much every time we chat. As I said in our very first conversation, uh, rugby doesn't have rules, it has laws, and it's been great to talk with one of them. And yes, I know that means that I, I'm probably obligated to get uh, Courtney Laws on here, but you know what? Nah. So, cheers, Rach, and here's to you. You have been amazing. He's He's People have to know! Yes, for a change, Isa, it actually is decidedly good news this week. So, as predicted, or at least hoped for here on this pod... Yes, Holly Davidson was given the 2021 Rugby World Cup final to officiate. So quoting the, you know, GeoCities page that is Rugby Pass, quote, Holly Davidson of Scotland has been appointed to referee this Saturday's Women's World Cup final between England and New Zealand in Auckland. She becomes the second Scottish official to control a Women's World Cup final following Jim Fleming back in 1994. Oh, my gosh. The World Cup final will be the 26th test match for Davidson as a referee with South African Amy Barrett Theron and France's, I think it's Aurélie Grazelot, appointed as her assistants. Uh, English referee Sarah Cox, meanwhile, will control the bronze medal match between Canada and France in Auckland on Saturday. World Rugby's referee talent development manager Alhambra Nieves said, quote, for Holly, 2022 has been a remarkable year. She has taken charge of some of the biggest competitions across sevens and fifteens including the women's finals at the Commonwealth Games and w Rugby World Cup Sevens. She also created history when she was the first female appointed to referee a men's Six Nations team with Italy's 38-31 victory over Portugal. Unquote. So I've been a fan of hers for quite some time now, so it's just so great to see things are really panning out for her in a big way. Here's to you, Holly. And, you know, I do realize that it makes two segments in a row, ending with the phrase, here's to you, but hey, y'all are just going to have to deal with it. So that brings us, of course, to Thoughts of the Week. And you know what? 
Finn Russell has been involved with my thoughts for the week for two weeks in a row. So I thought after reading this article that I'm about to talk about that I would go for the hat trick. So quoting here, quote, it should come as no surprise that the attention quickly turned to Scotland's recall of Finn Russell when All Blacks pivot Richie Mwanga fronted the media on Tuesday afternoon. Maverick playmaker, there it is again. Maverick playmaker Russell was left out of Scotland's squad for the Autumn Nations series with Blair Kinghorn, Adam Hastings, and Ross Thompson, preferred ahead of the 64-test fly half, but an injury to Hastings has seen the 30-year-old recalled ahead of this Sunday's fixture with New Zealand. With Kinghorn and Thompson still fit and able, there's a very real possibility that Russell won't take the field against the All Blacks. Are you kidding me? Against the All Blacks, as is typical when a high-profile player is dropped or recalled to an international squad. Yeah. Uh, Townsend, not typical. So it was questions regarding Russell's summoning back into Scotland camp, to which Moanga ended up spending much of his 10 minutes in the spotlight responding. After all, Moanga, as the Scottish journalists were very pleased to learn, has faced off against Russell on one prior occasion, despite this being his first trip to Edinburgh. Quote, we played each other at club level in Christchurch, Moanga revealed. We go way, way back, and to see him since then becoming the player that he is now is awesome to see, and I just know how awesome he is as a player, also a top bloke as well. He played for basically what we call the Canterbury B team, which is everyone that goes to Lincoln University. He had Robbie Fruan outside him, he had Jordan uh, Taufua at number eight, and we just sort of, you know, had enough to field a team. It was wet, and he put on a show. He did all year. At the time, oh, sorry, unquote. At the time, Russell was partway through a four-month stint at Canterbury's International High Performance Unit, and Mwanga's time uh, time rubbing shoulders with the Scottish number 10 has contributed to his admiration of the 30-year-old. Quote, I went to a Scottish school in Christchurch, and I, so I kind of thought we had a really good link before we even met, unquote, Mwanga said. Uh, quote, I knew when he arrived, the potential for him was massive. The sky was the limit in terms of what he could do back then. And to see him grow as a player and the confidence he has and the flair he has, I think sort of separates him from any other 10. I love Finn. The last couple of years, he's been my favorite 10 in the world. He's someone that can play all types of games, his kicking, his running, his passing. I'm all for just admiring great players. And some people have a player they admire more than others. And he's probably one for me. You don't have to say too much. His highlight reel speaks for itself. And the way that he plays, it's just something that I enjoy watching. End quote. There's something weirdly cool about one of your favorite fly halves talking so positively about one of your other favorite fly halves. I know this this article is a major fluff piece, but it definitely put a smile on my face for one. Okay, my friends, that, of course, brings us to our reviews. And, of course, we're going to start with the Rugby World Cup. France and Canada was our sort of warm-up match, so to speak, followed by the epic clash that was the Rugby World Cup final, England versus New Zealand. As per usual, we're saving our coverage for the talk with the aforementioned Rachel Law later this week. In fact, I'm going to be talking to her tomorrow as I record this. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. It's going to be great. As I'm writing this, I just finished watching the replay of the final with my partner, and I don't know, I feel like I've been injected with a wonder drug or something like that match instantly leapt into the top three all-time matches I've ever witnessed. I still can't believe how good it, the match was, how good the tournament was. I mean, holy crap, this, this World Cup simply could not have been better. My current worry is, you know, generally when I get to gab with Rachel about these games, I'm locked into one hour max. Um, I think that's going to be the case tomorrow. I wish it wasn't. I really feel like that's in inadequate for, you know, 
the final segment like this one, um, I mean, I could improv three hours on it by myself right at this very moment. So we'll see what we can work out. So rugby fans, get ye to YouTube. Get ye to the official channels. Watch as much and more as you can of every match in this entire competition. You will not regret even a single second uh, unless you love England, in which case, well, you know, I guess I won't say anymore. So moving on and over to the Autumn Nations series Saturday had Italy versus Australia in Firenze and uh, Italy, you know, they came out very strong. If they were ever intimidated by the Wallabies, those days are clearly over. Uh, Welsh, you know, heartbreaker, Ange Capuazzo, he split right through a couple of would-be defenders to make it 17-3 to for the home side after only about 25 minutes. Australia, they look like they're in a bad state these days. Um, the tides did turn a bit early in the second half, but to me, the Aussies, they just look bumfuzzled out there. It's like they forgot to put together a plan for their attack at any point. So after three quarters, they were still behind 20 to 15, very close, and the, the crowd was salivating at that point with a quarter hour to go. It was Capuazzo again, the stadium erupting with the lead back to 10. How good is he? Uh, Loliseo, he seems to have shaken the funk he fell into a while back, slotting a really high-pressure kick from an unfriendly angle, bringing things back to a single-score affair. This set us up for a thriller of an ending, with the Wallabies getting an attacking scrum at the five-meter mark as the clock went red. And despite ferocious defense by the Azuri, the visitors smashed one through to set up a make-or-break conversion attempt. Either way, this one was going to be yet another unbelievable finish in this series. Ben, uh, ben Donaldson, only 23 years old, stepped up for his first kick of the day as it scraped out wide right. It was utter elation in Italy. The national team getting two test wins in a row for the first time in 10 years. Just amazing. Australia badly needed a trip back to the drawing board. What a game, though. So next up, it was Ireland, of course, facing Fiji at the Aviva. The home team... They went a little light on the squad selection this time, clearly expecting a fairly easy win. Uh, naturally, Fiji started very strong, missing a penalty kick, and then within moments scoring a belter of a try, making the Irish defenders look a little bit slow out there. Can, uh, side note, can I just say how fun it is to watch Fiji play? I, I mean, maybe that's the most obvious thing I've ever said, but if their 15s game ever gets near their 7s game, I mean, whew, all gods help us. In any event, Ireland went on to score the next three tries, and Matthew Reynal was clearly getting tired of the constant back chat from Fiji. I assumed they were just trying to, you know, fill the void created by the absence of Johnny Sexton, but they forgot that only he's allowed to draw about every single call. So Balakoon got another start for Ireland in this one, scoring one of their first half tries. And, you know, to be fair, as I spent so much time complaining about Sexton, I thought I would try to balance it out with how much I like Balakoon's game. The guy is supremely talented and looks poised to play an increasing role in Ireland's future, seemingly unfazed by the step up to the international level, which is a great sign. So a red card for Fiji made their prospects seem even dimmer. And around 50 minutes, they got a yellow card to go down to 13. Not a good tactic when you're playing the world's number one ranked team. Down 11, though, with just about that many minutes remaining, there was still hope. But when the Irish widened the gap to 18, you know, it looked like the, the visitors deflated a bit. It felt very much over. Once again, masterfully wasting a, a buttload of time as things wound down, the Irish fans roared their approval of the 35-17 to victory as it was kicked out to end the match. Really good one. So England versus Japan was next on the list. And uh, I'm going to be honest, I really only sort of half watched this one. 
I don't know. I had a feeling we were in for a romp and I don't know. I, I just wasn't feeling it for whatever reason. Um, walking high tackle Owen Farrell, he made it 24 to six with a conversion right at halftime. Things would not get any easier for the Brave Blossoms. Uh, Genge and Sinclair were once again just ratcheting up the body count and England had, I don't know, an air of an in- inevitability about them. Uh, Japan scored their first try right before the three-quarter mark, but they were never in this one right from the outset. Uh, Matsushima losing it into touch after time it had expired. I don't know, that seemed to encapsulate the entire match. It was England winning in a walkover 52-13. to Wales versus Argentina was next, however, and whew, I don't know, I was very keyed up for this one. Argentina, once again, looked very good right from the get-go, and as they said on comms, Whale couldn't finish their own dinner at the moment, letting opportunity after opportunity slip through their collective fingers. The mood of the crowd was already a bit dark when Dan Lydiot left with what looked like a potentially bad injury. That really sucked the air out of the place. But just after the half-hour mark, however, it was uh, Felatau getting a well-deserved score, and that seemed to reinvigorate the entire stadium. Whales were more than happy to just kick it out uh, up 10-6 to at halftime with scoring clearly at a premium for this one. Argentina then, you know, in the second half, they had a really hard time finding anything with a full half hour gone before they got their first try, leaving them down a single score with just the 10 minutes remaining. The Pumas, they had one desperate shot right at the end, but the hosts turned them over with some killer defense. Wales would escape with a 20 to 13 win to the obvious relief of the crowd. I honestly don't know if Wales were great on defense the whole time or if Argentina just kind of had an off day. Uh, either way, it was a much-needed victory in Cardiff. So then, my friends, oh, France versus South Africa. This was the match, apart from the Rugby World Cup final, obviously, that I had circled on my calendar for this weekend. I couldn't sit still waiting for this one to kick off. As Ryle Nugent intoned in the pregame, the atmosphere at the Stade Velodrome was off the charts. The lights and pyrotechnics, utterly hypnotic. France have won historically 11 times against South Africa, while the Springboks have taken 27 with a surprisingly high number of draws at six. Wow. France, however, hadn't beaten South Africa since 2009, which was, of course, four years before Louis Rezamet was born. In any event, uh, I have never seen a pre-match display like this one. Holy crap, do they know how to do things in Marseille. So France, they struck first, and then, just past 11 minutes, it was Peter Steftatoy earning a well-deserved red card. The comms, they sounded irate at him for it, in fact. Uh, To be fair, it was a pretty dumb move for a former player of the year. By the way, last week, I mentioned that I had just learned that Steph Tatoy had almost lost a leg and that I needed to look it up, so I did. I found this uh, from just prior to the COVID explosion. Quote, when facing the Blues in a Super Rugby match, Tatoy sustained an injury that almost led to the loss of his leg due to a very rare complication. It was a medical emergency, Stormer's doctor Jason Souter told reporters. He had a hematoma that developed into acute compartment syndrome. They're incredibly rare cases. Only 43 have been recorded in the literature. It's a medical emergency because if you don't pick it up early and treat it, the patient will lose blood supply, uh, supply to the leg and could lose that leg. Within 15 minutes of him coming off the field and assessing him, we realized that he was at risk of this particular rare condition. He was taken straight to Vincent Pilati Hospital in Pinelands, Cape Town, where he had a vascular surgeon waiting, and he was operated on that night. It's very unusual, very rare, but they had to cut through the muscle to uh, release the pressure, and they were only able to close that leg 10 days after his initial injury, unquote. Wow. 
I mean, I assume I missed that story because all the news right about then was about the pandemic. Anywho, I almost forgot to mention, <laughs> Fafta Cleric, he has grown a cheesy little mustache, presumably from November, so good for him. But wow, does he look like a complete douche. Anyway, back to the game. It was 16-10 to 10 as we began the second half, and early on it was Antoine Dupont taking out Cheslin Colbert in the air to earn the second red card of the evening, just a bloodbath in Marseille. Quote, this match is on a knife edge, unquote, said the comms as Faf grabbed the box first lead of the night with a kick. Another quick side note here, the ginger fire hydrant himself, he got a lovely carry at one point, but I, I mean, I love the guy. I I had to laugh, though. No disrespect. The guy is a physical genius, but when he goes from walking pace to look how hard I'm running now pace, I mean, his actual speed, like, doesn't change. He's like a sand timer. <laughs> uh, anyway, with a quarter hour left, it was 22 to 26. The crowd was clearly becoming angry with Wayne Barnes, who, thankfully, is unflappable. Also, did you know that he's a barista? I swear, I'm going to keep making that joke until somebody gets angry and is like, you idiot, it's barrister, not barista. I can't believe that hasn't happened yet, to be frank. Anyway, quote, is it weird that I'm nervous? Unquote, asked the comms, and the answer for me was an emphatic, I hope not. So under five minutes to go, chaos abounded, loss of communication with the TMO, Barnes admonishing camera operators, all while Ramos was lining up a conversion, which quite predictably went awry. After a questionable forward pass call, France regained possession and put this one to bed, despite every single player in South Africa complaining vociferously about every single decision. Uh, and then Rassi right after the match, too. So it was 30-26 to 26 for the win for the upcoming World Cup hosts. 30-26 to 26 and another nail-biter. France have now beaten New Zealand, Argentina, Australia, South Africa, Japan, and all the Six Nations teams in this calendar year. World? Watch out. So next up, there was a Barbarians match. A nice little Barbarians match just to kind of make things fun. It was the Barbarians versus, uh, I wrote down New Zealand A. I think it's, I think they called it All Blacks 15. Uh, not really sure. It doesn't matter. It was too funny. <laughs> During the anthems, they twice, twice, twice in a row got shots of like couples in the stands where the woman's like, oh, hey, look, look, we're on the big screen. And the guy was like, duh, what? And didn't even look up from his phone. It was kind of awesome. Also kind of awesome was the Barbarians' response to the Haka, where they put the players who've also been All Blacks up front and they did the exact same Haka uh, like, a, like a shattered mirror. I, I don't know. I loved it. It set the stage perfectly for a good old Barbarians game. In fitting style, Joe Marler, he gained possession of the ball and suddenly just hoofed it. Boom. It was obviously a, yeah, this is a Barbarians game and maybe one of my last. Give me the ball. You'll see what happens kind of moment. I just, I loved it. It, it, it even kind of worked because the defense was like, what? Anyway, I love these random matches. I decided to put away the notes to just watch, which was totally worth it. Of course, later on, the Cami Cat, he was playing for the Barbarians. I feel like it's been a long time since I've even mentioned him. Uh, or seen him. Uh, <laughs> at the time on comms, Shanks referred to him as a breeze block of a bloke, which, I don't know, seemed remarkably poetic. 21-17 to 17 at the half, and it was just so close all the way. Really beautiful free rugby by both teams. In the final eight minutes, Barbarians were up 35-31, to 31, and that was how it would end. What an instant classic in the realm of what Josh Gardner would call unserious rugby. Then... Finally, it was Scotland versus New Zealand, and this one actually never happened, so no reason to talk about it. <sighs> uh, seriously, 
it was definitely fun for a little while. The the library, as Johnny Beatty likes to call uh, Murrayfield, it was in great form for a change. A lot of that had to do with the presence of the great Dottie Weir, who was on hand to lend his personal power and magnetism to the proceedings. As I write this, I just finished having a, a chat with uh, with the My Name's Dottie Foundation. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, about the My Name's Dottie Foundation. If you haven't listened to that bonus app yet, really, I, I highly suggest it also if you're able, you know, if you're able in any way to support this great organization, please do so. It's really great. Um, what a man Dottie is. Just a true legend. Scotland were up at the half, but then went back to our regularly scheduled program. By the final whistles, it was yet another win for the Kiwis, who have never suffered a defeat at the hands of the Scots this time, prevailing 23-31. to 31. Pardon my voice. Of course, you know what? Silly, silly me. There was definitely other international action. And I realized, I don't know, like half a week ago that I had completely forgotten to talk about the repechage tournament in the last episode. You'd think after seeing my Eagles win in convincing fashion, for a change, I'd have been, you know, super keen to blab on and on about it. But somehow it completely fell through my brain cracks. So last week, the tournament to determine the very last qualifier for next year's World Cup began featuring my USA Eagles, Kenya, our first opponent, Hong Kong, and Portugal. The opening round saw the Eagles lay a real beating on Kenya to the tune of 68-14. to 14. There were some big positives for me. You know, my beloved Free Jacks, Mitch Wilson, he got the start, played the entire 80 minutes, unselfishly setting up more than a few of our 10 tries in the day before getting one for himself. Uh, Dylan Fawcett and Christian Dyer both got hat tricks, we also brought AJ in off the bench rather than relying so completely on him. And you know what? Luke Cardi had a strong showing starting at fly half, making four out of his five conversion attempts as well. Kenya, they were scoreless in the first half, couldn't score a point until the 55-minute mark. They showed a lot of heart and really kept coming even when it got out of hand, scoring their second try around 78-plus minutes. So after that, Portugal, <laughs> they dispatched Hong Kong pretty easily, coming away victors 42-14. to But I must admit, I didn't end up watching that one. Uh, I do want to note, all these matches are available for free on the Rugby Network, a site I very much appreciate. Thank you all again so much for the content you provide week in and week out. It's smashing. It's so good. So then, this past Saturday, it was round two, with Port uh, Portugal versus Kenya and USA versus Hong Kong. The first match has a, you know effectively scared the bejesus out of me because the Portuguese... They made our win last week look like not a big deal at all, dishing out 85 points while conceding not even one. Yikes. So we've obviously saved our toughest challenge for last, so this fixture against Hong Kong was going to be pivotal, and fortunately the Eagles proved up to the task. 49-7 to was the final tally, with the aforementioned Mitch Wilson getting yet another try, one of seven all converted. Uh, very positive signs once again, though we find ourselves behind the proverbial eight ball heading into the final round. It is a must-win scenario, and quoting here from World Rugby, quote, it means Portugal lead the standings on points difference, but whoever wins the meeting between the two sides next Friday will secure the 20th and last remaining ticket to Rugby World Cup 2023 and their place in Pool C, unquote. For the record, neither Hong Kong nor Kenya have ever made a Rugby World Cup while Portugal and the USA have never, uh, men's, have never progressed out of the pool stages. My friends, set your alarms to be up and ready for this one. You know, light your incense, sacrifice, I don't know, a rubber chicken or something. 
but send out any and all magic available to you to root for my beautiful Eagles this coming weekend. In fact, please note, the final fixtures are where I am Friday morning for whatever reason with Hong Kong versus Kenya at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and the match of the year for we Americans, for us Americans, I should say, at 10.30 a.m. Go Eagles! So the only other action I was following this weekend was the Gallagher Premiership. For some reason, keep it on, keep it on while everything else is on pause. But, you know, Bath versus Leicester was our only Friday fixture. How much am I missing the NPC right now, right? Anyway, uh, this one actually turned out to be a really nice one. Perfect conditions. Nandolo was the first try scorer on the day. I mean, ugh. I love watching that guy. He always looks like a, a varsity player coming in to, to like show the JV how it's done. So another player I love, and I don't think I've ever, ever actually mentioned his name, is Ollie Lawrence. Wow, has he got a step on him. He was apparently one of a small raft of new signings. They also hinted Alfie Barbary might be on his way as well. Very nice. So this one turned into an extraordinary match, with Bath getting an absolutely sick try right in the corner with the clock already past 80, snatching Again, a one-point victory from the struggling league, uh, league champs. Really impressive stuff. Most of their players were ready to collapse from exhaustion. But, you know, right when they needed it most, bam, it was there for them. Impossible to describe the explosion of the crowd as one single voice. And to me, I I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Bath looked like they might have turned a corner. Meanwhile, if you have the foggiest notion what's wrong with the Tigers this year, get in touch and let me know because I am baffled. Anyway, Saturday was Gloucester versus Newcastle. Once again, the Falcons continued their schizophrenic season journey, well beating a cherry and white side that has been proving doubters wrong all year. Gloucester did outscore Newcastle in the second half, but could never quite get close, uh, losing at home 21-27. Exeter versus London Irish was next. The, the Chiefs hadn't won at home since dispatching my Harlequins again by a single point back into uh, September. The Exiles hadn't won away from home since april holy cow also it's weird i was wondering you know like we're in the middle of the autumn internationals what that patty jackson guy he seems like people think he's pretty good why can't he get a call up to play with ireland oh right yeah anywho exeter they led 19 to 3 at halftime just barely held on to win scoring only three points in the second half but 22 to 17 was the final score all told then saracens Versus uh, Northampton finished off the week with Sarries making an insane second half comeback to come away winners yet again. They were down 10 at the break, but they roared back, outscored the visiting Saints 28 to 12 in the final 40, eventually winning 45 to 39 in a humdinger of a contest. Yes, I just said humdinger for the first time in my life. I have no idea why. So. As the Prem finally takes a break, it's worth taking a quick look at the table where Saracens still sit unbeaten at the top. The weirdness of the schedule means they and Northampton are the only two clubs to have played nine fixtures, while Sale, Exeter, and Bath have played eight. The other six teams have played seven. So Sale, they're still in second place at six and two with 28 points. Northampton are, you know, for now, in third place. Uh, they're sort of tied with Harlequins and Gloucester, but both those teams have... have uh, had two fewer games uh, than Northampton. So Exeter and Leicester, they're sort of smack dab in the middle, if you can call it that. The bottom four, of course, are Bath, Newcastle, Bristol, and London Irish, who are still stuck on just one win, barely getting to double-digit league points. At this stage, you know, it's clearly Saracen's competition to lose, and I have doubts 
anyone is going to come very close. So, by the music, you'll of course know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the award goes to Portia Woodman, Ms. Woodman, or Wonder Woodman, as you are so aptly known. You've become one of my favorite players on Earth over the last several weeks. I'm so going to miss watching you play. Uh, Being forced to leave the pitch after only 17 minutes in a Rugby World Cup final must have been indescribably devastating to you. And yet, as you were carted off, it wasn't sadness, but pride and joy writ large all across your face. Without you, the Black Ferns probably would not have made it all the way to the top of that mountain. Here at the Scrum of the Earth, we wish you the speediest of recoveries and the greatest of fortunes in the years ahead. Uh, It's only a teeny tiny consolation, but perhaps the, the prestige that goes along with this award will help you in some way. Portia Woodman, proud Blackfern and on-field warrior. Congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done. Okay, that of course brings us to our updates and previews for next week. And you know what? Sadly, the 2021 Rugby World Cup has come and gone. I'm pretty pleased it will be back in just three years rather than four, so I'm sort of hanging my hat on that one for now. So it'll be just a couple of days before our final Rugby World Cup segment uh, drops with Rachel Law, who, as I said, will be back to discuss the final and the the third place final as well. So adieu for now. Happy trails to all involved. I hope to see everyone involved soon. Meanwhile, the Autumn Nation series continues with five fixtures slated for Saturday and then one on Sunday. Saturday the 19th will bring us Italy versus South Africa. Oh, wow. What do you know? Uh, Wales will play Georgia. That could be pretty cool. Uh, Scotland will play Argentina, looking for a little revenge from the summer. England versus New Zealand. Oh, that's going to be good. And finally, Ireland versus Australia in a game that Ireland probably doesn't care if they win or not. Anyway, Sunday the 20th will feature France versus Japan. I don't see a dull matchup anywhere on that list. Should be very interesting indeed. So the URC has been off for a couple weeks already. Uh, The top 14 finally took a breather for this and next week. And then, of course, the Gallagher Premiership is going to interest mode for this weekend. So I also saw they did manage to re-kajigger the schedule in the Prem so they can get back to five matches per week rather than the four that we've had for a while now. The shuffle also means two fewer rounds in total. Uh, so it's actually going to be 24 rounds instead of 26, although the dates for the playoffs are unchanged. Hey, they finally listened to me. Can you believe it? Uh, they, they are not aware of me. Anyway, all three of these competitions get back into gear, starting on either the 25th or the 26th, depending, and we'll be back for two rounds before we kick off the European competitions, starting on Friday, December 9th. Winter Rugby Man, it is the best. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. I need to go make myself a nice cup of sleepy time tea. But from now, through the winter holidays, man, oh man, do things get good. We've got the internationals, of course. Then we'll have a couple rounds of Europe. Then the Christmas Darbies. Oh, it's so great. So, as always, 
Thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And above all, be well.